We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go.
Hey guys, welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 501, starting the next 500 with today's episode. Uh, special, special podcast today. Uh, I was really excited um, and had an awesome time talking with Tanner Swanson, who is the catching coach, the quality and catching coach for the New York Yankees. And you guys know how I have been, you know, I, I've talked about Gary Sanchez and the frustrations there and and the different um, the different things that he's gone through as far as the ups and downs on the offense and de- defensive side of the ball. Um, it's driven me, driven me nuts, uh, at, at times. And, um, I have been fascinated by Tanner's journey through baseball. Really. I, I started following him and some of the things that he was doing, uh, when he was with the Minnesota twins and he has this new approach. Everybody knows about it is the, the one knee down approach. We've, we've talked about it with the way that Gary implements it as well. Um, but there's been a lot of success across the league with the way that he teaches uh, guys how to catch. Just a really, really awesome, great conversation I had with Tanner today. Um, I'm excited to, uh, to to bring it to you guys because I think what there are a lot of misconceptions based on the things that he teaches, and also uh, you know how there's potential deviations away from the core philosophy of um, of what he's teaching and the different tactics and how he um, he implements it with different players. So I thought I think it was really interesting and kind of an eye opening conversation in the in the sense that um, you're going to learn new things. I think uh, about his approach. Uh, I, I know I did for sure. I had no idea that Tanner was not a catcher. Uh, playing college ball, uh, but he wasn't. He was a position player. We'll learn that plus a bunch of other just really interesting nuggets in the way that he approaches the um, his philosophies and, and each individual player. So uh, Tanner was awesome. Really, really nice guy. Um, appreciate him taking the time to to do this and um, talk. You know, just Yankee baseball. He gave us some uh, a little bit of insight as well on the uh, some of the guys that are in the minor leagues. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't have the chance to develop over 2020 because of our. Uh, COVID season, but he's excited about the future of, of some of these guys that the Yankees have really placed an emphasis on um, being the catcher position. So without further ado, this is Tanner Swanson, who is the quality and catcher's coach for the New York Yankees. Enjoy. All right, guys, I'm uh, excited to start today's show. We got Tanner Swanson, who's the Yankees quality control and catching coach. Tanner, thanks, man, for coming on. Really appreciate it. You can uh, you can follow Tanner uh, on Twitter at Tanner Swanson. What's up, man? Thanks for joining. Yeah, Scott. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm excited to be here and looking forward to, to talking shop. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's just nice connecting with, with somebody, you know, being pretty isolated <laughs> like we all are. For um, sure. This seems to be the new medium to, to do so. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man, definitely. So, you know, I had, uh, I mentioned before we started recording, but we had judges uh, hitting coach on a little while ago and I'm fascinated with just baseball mechanics in the past um, and excited to talk about the catching because I think, I think catching analytics, when you're talking about some of these different approaches, you have some philosophies that I think do stand out um, amongst major leaguers and just the way some of these guys are, you know, approaching the position. Um, I think it's very interesting and yeah, would love to just hear some background from you, just you know where you, where you're from and and kind of how you came up. Um, I know you were with Minnesota before you got to uh, New York and with the Yankees, but would love to hear that path just so our our, our listeners can uh, can hear the full scope. Sure, yeah, um, you know I'll just get the let the cat out of the bag right now. You know, I, as a player, I was a an infielder, you know, a, a Division two 
uh, infielder. I went to Central Washington University, uh, which was near my hometown. I grew up in a really small uh, town uh, named Roslyn, Washington. It's about 90 minutes east of Seattle. Um, got into coaching, you know, right away. Was a, a head coach briefly at a junior college here locally. Um, later spent five years at the University of Washington, which is uh, really was kind of my first exposure to, to catching, um, not first exposure, but, but my first hands-on experience, you know, working with catchers and, um, really kind of cut my teeth there as the volunteer for, a, for an extended period of time. Um, um, had an opportunity to join the Minnesota twins as a, as the catching coordinator. I did that for two seasons. Um, and then later, um, or most recently, you know, accepted obviously in a new role with the New York Yankees. So, um, it, it's been a really fun journey. Um, you know, most would, would ask, okay, how does a guy who, who never caught, you know, um, end up, you know, working with catchers for, you know, at the major league level. And, and, uh, I guess we can dig into this, you know, yeah. more throughout the, the segment, but, but honestly, I think the, the biggest thing is that, you know, I, I think I've really got to look at the position um, with really an unbiased, you know, perspective and, and I've been able to kind of challenge some conventional um, methods and, and I'm, I'm not tainted by, well, this is how my catching coach, you know, taught me to do it, or these were my personal experiences. Um, so I think in a lot of ways it's, it's benefited me and, and allowed me to, to look at it kind of from a, from a clean slate. Um, and I think we're seeing a, a, a lot of innovations within the position. There's been, um, for whatever reason, it was, I think the catching position was really slow to um, evolve at the same rate as, you know, we've, we're seeing, you know, on the offensive side or, or pitch design and, and some of the advances that um, pitchers are making and pitching coaches to enhance, you know, um, the things we're doing on the mound. So I, I think for whatever reason, catching uh, stayed pretty stagnant for a really long time. And, and just within the last, you know, few years, it's, it's really starting to transform and, and uh, and we're starting to challenge, you know, kind of conventional methods in a lot of ways. And um, it's it's been it's been a fun journey, no question. So what what was that that initial peak? I mean, you just said it. So you're coming from a position player going to the catcher. What what made you think to start looking at the catching position and say, hey, you know, I think some some changes can be made. Um, is it is it from just what you saw or what you talked about with uh, with guys that you played with, or what was the what was that initial? poke that said hey I, i'm curious about this let's dig in um you know i really got kind of thrown into it when i was at the university of washington and, and you know my i i studied kind of kinesiology physical education you know i was i spent two years actually as a high school teacher um and so my background you know was was in kind of skill acquisition and 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 how you know how to enhance and develop skills like mostly through the physical education lens and you know but I always had a, an interest obviously and a passion in baseball and and I was trying to figure out how I could merge those two fields and, and so I was I think really lucky you know going through college I think like most people you, you never really know how um, you know the subject matter that you're learning is ever going to if or, or when it will ever apply and I was really fortunate I think at the time to really be able to um to dig into um, skill acquisition and, and motor learning and, and things of that nature. And at the time, um, you know, it's become really popular and, and really influx, um, you know, the baseball world in the last decade. 
And, and those principles and concepts aren't new by any means that people have been coaches have been using them in other sports for, for decades. Um, but it's really, I think started to, and you know, more recently, um, coaches are starting to adopt, you know, some of these skill acquisition principles and, and, you know, training environments are starting to evolve and adapt and, and we're starting to challenge how we, um, how we train and, and how we look at batting practice and how we take ground balls. And, and, and I think there's just a lot of things within our game that are being um, challenged in, in a positive way. And so that's, you know, I, I really started to kind of develop a, a philosophy um, around some of those more alternative training methods, you know, while I was at the university of Washington. And, um, but I wasn't exposed to the data or the analytics side of it until I got into to professional baseball. And, and that really, I think, accelerated um, my own personal growth, you know, just being to being able to have access to higher level information. Um, and, and from there, you know, you know, at the time, you know, pitch framing was was already generating a lot of momentum in terms of you know, this is the skill that is most highly correlated to run prevention and, and teams were trying to figure out how to, how to maximize it. Um, and for the most part, you know, it was just how do we acquire these players that are good at this skill? Um, I, I'm not sure that a lot of people had really figured out how to, how to train it or develop it. Um, so that was kind of my mission in Minnesota was, you know, there's a competitive advantage that could be gained, you know, if we can develop this skill better, um, you know, and from there we, kind of developed a system that you're now seeing um, kind of throughout the, the major leagues. There's been a lot of catchers who have kind of adopted this, this system or style that I'm sure we'll dive into. Um, but it really started there in Minnesota and just, you know, the, the culture and the environment there and, and um, the access to the information to kind of rethink a, a lot of, uh, you know, just some of the conventional stuff catchers were doing. Yeah, no, let's, I mean, let's just dive into the the philosophies here because to me, they're very interesting and, you know, I've read a lot about it, listened to some interviews that you've done, um, uh, you know, some of the, some of the things you've done with the Yankees as well. But, um, from, from my understanding, the, the approach in the beginning, like you said, you're, you're, you know, taking advantage of, of, of different opportunities, um, to get strikes starting in low in the zone, you know, making sure that that vertically we're seeing the strike zone a little tighter uh we're able to start with the the glove down and you know bringing that ball back into the zone to um to 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 acquire strikes if you will so yeah tell me you know i guess it's looking at data as well of where strikes are being missed where strikes are being called um there's definitely some influence here with the the umpire i have a (laughs) i have a a a bit of a, a a different relationship with that stat the the framed the framing stat just because i think it's an imperfect stat um, it's it's newer, and I think there there's still some some work to be done on how that's uh, how it's represented, and obviously a big sample size is needed. I think for it to be a you know good mm-hmm. corresponding number to what a catcher is doing, and people use it I think with too small of a sample size sometimes. Sure. Um, so yeah, just curious as to you know how you found that, and and then yeah, just like how you started that approach, like the one knee, just the, the, kind of the, the root of it. Sure. Um... You know, I think there is a, a big misconception um, that, you know, this whole style is, is developed only to, you know, optimize, you know, pitch framing and really at the expense of everything else. And I think that's, it's really not true. Um, and if I'm, if I'm being honest with myself, you know, that's maybe where it started, you know, it was in, in my mind, Hey, if we get in these alternative positions, we get 
lower to the ground. We create a, um, um, a better relationship with the bottom of the strike zone. Um, you know, we, we can potentially capture more strikes there. And, and even if our blocking and throwing suffers a little bit, the net gain will be a positive. Um, that was my initial thought process, but, but now we have enough catchers who are utilizing this, this style that, um, I've transitioned my own thought process to believe that, Hey, this might be a, an ideal blocking position. And if we ever go to a, a, an electronic strike zone, um, you know, I think one of the, the biggest benefits that nobody talks about is, is the ability to control balls in the dirt. And, and it's easy to cherry pick the, the examples of missed blocks, but we forget that catchers miss blocks all the time from traditional stances. Um, and so it, it, to me, in a lot of ways, it's just counterintuitive to think that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to control balls in the dirt better by getting further away from the ground, which is how kind of it's been taught forever. You get up in this big active secondary stance with your feet wide and your, and your butt high and your back flat. And, and we're moving further away from, from the surface or the floor. And, um, I just think the demands of the position are changing and we're, we're seeing obviously, um, an influx with velocity, you know, we, in 2020, we saw an all time high in terms of average fastball velocity. Um, we're seeing, we saw the lowest rate of actual fastballs thrown. So not only are we throwing harder, we're throwing fewer fastballs, which means we're throwing more non-fastballs, right. Which tend to be more difficult for catchers to handle. And then on top of all that, we're throwing fewer pitches within the zone. Our in zone rate was at an all time low in, in 2020. So, I, you know, I, I think the demands of the catcher are getting increasingly hard, right. Which is, which is why I think it's appropriate that we, we, we push the envelope to try to, see if we can't find better or more efficient ways to do things. So, um, but, but back to the original question, the thing that really punched me in the face, you know, when I was in Minnesota is that there was this huge emphasis on framing and, and we got to figure out how to improve our catchers framing. And that's the best way to save runs, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what I found is when I, when I looked at different, the difference in framing rates between base states, specifically bases empty versus runner on base, um, there is a, a steep regression. So every catcher in the league um, gets worse once you add a base runner. And, and, and so initially I found that interesting. And, and, and the obvious answer to that question, to, to why that happens is that we'll catch your setup differently between those two base states, right? With, with nobody on base um, and less than two strikes, they're, they're in uh, much more relaxed, lower positions. You, for a long time, people have been utilizing knee down stances from these or, you know, with nobody on base, that's not revolutionary in itself. Um, but then once base runners get on, you know, traditionally catchers completely abandon that position that intuitively they know is, is a more conducive receiving position. They abandon it um, because there's this perception or belief that, you know, that we need to not only prioritize blocking and throwing, but we need to get up into some other alternative position to do so. Um, so in my mind, I thought there was a competitive advantage that could be gained if, if you could combat that regression. So if you, could, if you could get a catcher to perform at whatever their true talent level was as a receiver, you know, throughout the entire nine innings, not only with the bases empty. Um, so that was kind of the genesis of it. It's like, the, let's figure out um, how, to, how to block and throw from – our primary or our, our, our relaxed position and, and do that at all times. If that's our best receiving position and the best position for us to um, optimize the strike zone, 
which we know is the best way to save runs, let's stay in that position exclusively and then figure out if we can block and throw. And there's no better place to experiment than in the minor leagues. And, and so that's what we did. In Minnesota, we, we, we put catchers in these positions and we, we tracked closely their, you know, their receiving metrics. And, and we experimented with, through trial and error with a ton of different, um, you know, just ways that, hey, how do we move laterally? How are we going to get up out of this position to throw? Um, because coaches forever, you know, when, when I first proposed this, there was, there was catchers or there was coaches within, you know, Minnesota's organization that, you know, said, no way, this can't work. You know, you, you, how are you going to block and throw? Um, and my response was, well, nobody's ever tried it. Like, how do we know that to be true unless we try it? And, and so we did. And, and, you know, long story short, we, we, we learned that not only can we block and throw, we may be able to do it at a higher level than, you know, what then it's been done before. So, um, that's the, the, the long or the short of it. Yeah. I, and I saw your, I saw your graphic, uh, the other day that you tweeted out about the, you know, top catchers in the league using, or that are, uh, blocking balls and the amount of them in the, in this position, in this one knee position. So, and I also heard, uh, you know, just to, to kind of put some context here and put a, um, just some players so that it's, it's easy for, for people to, to kind of realize this, but, um, you were you were talking about Gary Sanchez as well, and and having the approach, um, making sure that there's a meld of you know one position so that he can get comfortable in one position that's a little bit of um, with the one knee down, but making sure that the when he's when there's guys on base, when there's guys not on base, that he's really just focusing on one that one stance. Is that still the case? I mean, does this? So let me, let me back up a little bit. How, how much of this is, is adjusted based on the, the player and their style and, you know, yeah. what kind of an athlete they are? Because I think catchers are also adjusting in the sense, or they're, they're, they've evolved. They're, I think they're better athletes overall. Um, I think right. a lot of positions are probably better athletes overall, but that, that certainly had to have helped, you know, the approach that you had taken to it. Some of these guys are just more nimble and, you know, have, are better athletes and can adjust easier. Yeah, there's, there's definitely, um, you know, other catchers throughout the league have taken this system or this style and continued to um, modify it um, and create other adaptations that you know I haven't personally taught um, or 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 asked a player to to try to utilize. Um, but it's for that exact reason. There's there's different levels of, of athleticism. There's different um, range range of motion, flexibility, mobility. There's I, I think it, it is really important that you're able to kind of adopt the system to the player um, um but but in all cases the premise is is to try to merge like you said um you know merge your blocking or your your ready and your and your relaxed position or your primary or secondary stance into one let's 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 try to master one position and, and have various you know iterations from that kind of base position um you know it's it's not as simple as just get down in a knee and and we're going to all of a sudden become better receivers, blockers, throwers. There's, there's definitely um, transition moves and, and variations in the setups that allow you to prioritize certain things in certain situations. Um, so it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all um, approach. Um, but I honestly think we're, we're kind of just scratching the surface. And, and there, was, there were things done in 2020 by other catchers throughout the league within this style that um, – you know, that I was really impressed with that I hadn't seen before that were new. And I think a lot of, in, in a lot of cases, catchers were kind of experimenting um, and finding solutions 
kind of organically, you know, um, as, as things would come up and, um, not, maybe not necessarily things they've practiced. Um, but I think there's a lot of experimentation going on within the position as, as teams try to figure out, um, how they can utilize a system similar to this, um, you know, and, and do it in a way that doesn't, um, that uh, doesn't inhibit their ability to, to do those secondary skills. It's not that receiving is, it may be the most important, but it's not the only way to save runs. Um, and, and I think in a perfect world, you know, we need to find a system that allows a catcher to be good at, at all of these skills. And if, if we're being honest there, you know, the way it's been conventionally been done forever, isn't that, um, you know, if, if you go back as far back as, as you can go and, and, and look at, you know, leaderboards for framing, blocking, throwing, it's, it's rare to find one catcher who is elite in all three of those skills in any given year. It just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. You have your elite framers and traditionally the elite framers have been bad blockers. And traditionally the, the really good blockers have been bad framers. It's in a lot of ways, these skills are, are inversely correlated. Um, but I think it's directly linked to the conventional system that catchers are using. If, if you want to be a good blocker, um, you can find positions that allow you to be really good at blocking. And those positions traditionally aren't the same as, you know, the positions that allow you to be a really good framer. And, and, and so my whole quest has been trying to figure out how to find a position that allows you to do everything well, you know, not just hyper-focus on one. When you're, when you're looking at guys and they're making this adjustment, um, you know, going from, or going to this, the one knee approach, what kind of, what kind of things are they working on as they're preparing to, you know, make that transition? Because is there, are there, are there different, is there a different conditioning program that you put them through? Is there a different, you know, what does that look like ahead of time for, so they're, you know, preparing their body mo- movements are a little bit different. Is there a, uh, you know, just a particular uh, thing that you, you ask them to do even before they, they show up in spring or different off season workouts. Just curious is like the preparation before you get into that. Not, not necessarily. In, in my mind, it's, it's, um, it's less, it, it requires, um, how do I say this? I think it's less stressful on the body. And one of the main goals with Gary in particular this year was, was, was I thought, thought that this type of style would be better on him physically. Right. And, and would allow him to, um, you know, avoid going on the IL, which he's had a, a history of, of, of injuries that have prevented him from being able to stay in the lineup through the course of a full season. And, and yeah, this was a shortened season. Um, but we accomplished that goal. And, and if you ask him specifically, you know, he, he, he would tell you he's never felt better physically and, and um, which was not the case based on how he was catching, you know, his style in years past. Um, he, he's expressed to me that, you know, the next, the following day, you know, if he's caught two, three days in a row, his, his body was, um, it really took a toll on his body physically. Uh, I mean, you'd have to believe that, that those stressors, um, you know, contribute to, you know, the, the injuries that he's experienced, you know, over the course of his career. So, so I think it's, it's less physically demanding on the body. I think it's a more comfortable position. Um, you're not sitting in this, this squat, you know, for 160 pitches throughout the course of the, of a nine inning game. Um, so that, that's been my experience. I think there's, there's still a lot to learn in terms of, you know, what, what are these, these are completely new moves. And, and I think guys are accessing, you know, completely new ranges of motion and, 
and um, experiencing when they first get in these positions, they experience soreness in, in places that typically aren't sore. And it's just, it's, it's a new position that I think the body does need to uh, adapt to um, over time. But, I, but I haven't necessarily found anything to prescribe um, that, that can prepare a catcher for that other than just doing it. Yeah. And it seems like it's, I mean, it's a different approach too, right? When you're catching, they've, if they're new to this, if this is something new to them and they're not um, utilizing it all, uh, you know, from, from the beginning, it's going to be an adjustment, muscle memory, just the things that they're used to, um, you know, the instincts that they have. One, one thing I noticed um, with, with Gary specifically was that, you know, trying rather than turning the glove and stuffing, which, which you would probably, you would probably teach in the, you know, when you're in a squat position where you're, you're squaring up and stuffing the glove, you know, sometimes he was reaching for the ball, trying to catch it and bring it up, whereas it wasn't working. So that that adjustment, I, I got to believe, is a difficult one. Um, understanding where your limitations are, understanding where the flexibility ranges are, and things like that. So when you're teaching that approach, is that just is that just repetitions, just like getting used to this this yeah. new thing? Because seemingly, especially you know, depending on the type of pitcher, that's kind of the second part of this question is like, how is it adjusted based on the pitcher? You know, a guy who's um, higher in the zone, you know, throwing harder finesse guy who's, you know, around the plate a lot more and, you know, potentially bouncing a ball for a pitch to be effective. So yeah, just, is, is it a lot of reps? Is that, is that, you know, what's the, uh, what's the beginning process to get them used sure. to that? Yeah. A couple of things come in play here and, and like it took Gary and, and that this is, um, this is one thing I was really impressed with him about um, one of several things, but you know, the fact that he was willing to, to do this without really a lot of experience or preparation ahead of time to, to really master it or to get comfortable with it, but to go into a major league game and, and kind of take a leap of faith. And even though it wasn't comfortable for him out of the gates, you know, it took him, you know, maybe halfway through this season to really just feel comfortable with the position itself. Um, which is, which is why I think there was some indecisiveness like you described where, Hey, do I pick this ball? Can I block it? I'm not really sure yet how to move laterally. Um, you know, and, and some of those things you saw in his performance as he was trying to figure these out almost on the fly. Um, but about halfway through the season, he got really comfortable with the position in itself. And, and we, and he figured out, you know, what he needed to do to be able to slide left to right. Um, he had a better sense of, of kind of his depth perception. Cause one thing this position does is it totally changes your, your eye level, right? You're in a, yeah, now sure. in a much lower position and, and, and not only I think does the does the timing window change, right? Where you can actually wait longer to make a decision because you're already in your blocking stance. Whereas, which is which is one of the benefits, but it, there there is an adjustment period. You know, guys that are in traditional stances, um, because it takes time to transition down to the ground, they're forced to make an earlier decision in the pitch's flight. You know, somewhere just out of the hand, they have to recognize, okay, um, is this ball going to end up in the dirt or? Um, is it going to end up kind of in that fringe zone just below the strike zone, which is the, the key to the heart to the strike zone, right? And, and yeah. so um, catchers from traditional stances, you'll see they'll often kind of crash down to one knee anyway because they're kind of caught in between, right? They're, they're like, oh, this, this ball might end up in the dirt, so they have to respect it and, and begin their move to the ground. And then at some point they realize, no, this ball is going to stay in the air and I need to catch it. Right. But, but that has negative implications in, um, in their receiving ability, right. When they're crashing kind of down over the top of the ball, they're catching the top of it, maybe dragging it. Um, so one of the, I think the greatest benefit to this position is that catchers can make later decisions, right. And, and so they can acquire more information, 
um, throughout the, the uh, pitch's um, ball flight and, and decide later in the process whether I need to turn it over to block or if I can stay committed to the catch. And so, um, you know, therefore I think that the block really is no longer a separate skill. It's just an extension of the reception. It's just an extension of the catch. So it's, you're, you're catching everything until you're not, and you can make that decision much later um, because you're already in your blocking position, your blocking and receiving position are the same. So, but that, that adjustment period, because of the, the, the different, um, you know, the different, different visual, just being in a lower position, it, it takes guys a while to figure out that, that depth perception and, and, um, do I need to pick or do I need to catch, you know? And, and so that, that, that takes some time. Um, you know, so I think like any, like any adjustment, whether it's hitting or pitching, um, there is an adjustment period that in some cases you get worse before you get better, you know, but I thought halfway through the season, things started to really click for him. Um, and, and even objectively, he blocked the ball and he blocked the ball as, as well as he has in, at any point of his career, you know, that gets overshadowed by the pass balls. Um, you know, but in my opinion, those have nothing to do with the stance. You know, those are balls that he just should catch and, and doesn't sometimes. Um, and so that's something that needs to be obviously, you know, corrected. But when you actually break down dirt balls and pitches that are in the dirt, you know, um, specifically the second half of the season, he blocked the ball better than he ever has. Um, and then he really started to get comfortable with, with how he can move from those positions. So kind of keying on that, do you, is this, is this one of those cases where you, you, you suspect, and, and from that graphic, it seems like it's starting to happen, but the, the data starting to trend in, in, in a way that's a lot more positive with the other sides of the other facets of the game, not just the framing, obviously, like you said, that was the beginning of it, right? That's what, that's what drew you to this stance. But now the guys are getting more comfortable with it, making those adjustments, their muscle memory is getting in there. Um, you're starting to see now some of these guys on the at the top of the the blocking charts, the pass, the you know fewer pass balls. Seems like that's a data trend that's just going to continue to rise as guys get more comfortable with this, being that it's a new system. Yeah, no, no question. You know, one year ago, 2019, there was one catcher doing this, right? And it was it was Mitch Garver. So it's it's easy for people just to say, well, that's one player. You know, he one player got better. It doesn't mean that the methods are, are effective, you know, or maybe he wasn't very good to begin with. And, and so, you know, the, the, the window for him to improve were, was great, you know? And so um, there, it's easy to pick holes when, when the sample is really small, but now just one year later, you know, there was close to 20 catchers in the big leagues that were utilizing this style or, or, or a similar style. Um, and so there, I think that's a big enough sample that we can now actually look at, okay, can we objectively kind of evaluate, you know, these alternative methods in themselves? And when you compare, you know, subset A, the one knee blockers versus subset B, the conventional blockers in 2020, even though this is completely contrary to public opinion, like the one knee blockers outperformed the, the conventional blockers. So it's, it's, these systems are not designed just to aid pitch framing at the expense of everything else. I've said that already um, in my mind, you know, not only can they aid pitch framing, but I think they may be more optimal for blocking and, and probably it's, it's probably a push in terms of um, the impact that it has on throwing. Look, I think it's a telling, it's very telling the fact that the Yankees, you know, reached out to you, brought you in with this, this approach that's so new. Um, I mean, you're obviously 
there's there's obviously a lot of believers, I think, in MLB of of what you're teaching, and the Yankees, you know, have given you the keys to the the catching system, um, and that's been a big emphasis in recent drafts. Can you talk also uh, just about some of the guys that have been, you know, in the in the uh, in the lower leagues? Obviously, 2020 being such a weird year in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. um, but and and it, it's such a shame for development of these guys. Uh, but yeah, would love for you to to kind of key on a couple of these dudes and and just you know, what you see from them and what, what uh, Yankee fans can kind of expect to see in the upcoming years. Yeah, I think it was, uh, it was, it was disappointing. I think, I think if, if our fan base and just the industry in general got to, got to watch our minor league system or the results of our minor league catchers specifically, I think it would just offer even more validation that, you know, what we're doing, um, is effective. And although it's new and maybe unconventional, um, you know, our minor league system has really hit the ground running. You know, when, when I got hired, you know, I helped bring in Aaron Gershenfeld, who's our, our minor league catching coordinator. Um, and, and he's really, really good and, and, and has really kind of scaled um, these methodologies throughout our system. And, and the buy-in amongst our minor league players is, is, is really high, you know, and, and, think about guys like Josh bro and, and Austin Wells, who we, you know, drafted this year and this last year. And, and, um, there, there's a lot of guys in our minor league system that are really excelling within these systems. Um, and it's disappointing that they didn't get to showcase those skills this year. Um, and if, or when they do, um, you know, I, I think it's just going to be further validation that we're, we're on the right path. How has the Yankees' analytics approach to this whole thing made it? Has it made it easier? I mean, obviously, there's a there's a buy-in on that side. Pitching coach now, um, you know, heavy analytics. Uh, it seems like your approach was, you know, rooted in in the data, of identifying where that data, you know, where where you where it can be uh, captured, where you can take advantage of it. So, just quickly speak to the the Yankees organization and their, um, you know, their buy-in with the, with the data because it seems like it's happening throughout the positions. It's not just. Right not just uh, pitching, uh, obviously going into catching and then, you know, into different spots. Yeah. I, I think, you know, across every spectrum, you know, whether it's the pitching or the hitting or, you know, I think we want to make, you know, data driven decisions or, or at least um, nudge our, our instructional processes, you know, around evidence, not just, you know, um, opinion. And, and there's obviously an art to being able to blend those two things. And I think, you know, the Yankees, um, are doing a really, really good job at at trying to um, merge those 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 two worlds together because there, there obviously is a place for experience. Like I, I can have really good ideas and really good systems, um, but being able to implement those are almost more important. Um, and being able to execute them and and to to draw on experience and so you know having guys like you know Phil Nevin and um, Carlos Mendoza and, and, and guys who have, who have, you know, have a lot more experience than myself or, or a guy like Matt Blake, um, you know, those, 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 that type of dynamic I think is, is important, you know, that there is a, a blend um, between you can call new school, old school um, and, and that you find a marriage. And I think the Yankees are, are being really intentional about trying to, um, to do just that. So it's, it's been a really positive experience so far. Um you know, it's, I have nothing but, but, but good things to say. And, and, you know, we have a lot of really smart people who have been, you know, really, um, 
really helpful just in, in, in my attrition, you know, into a new organization. And, and obviously they've given me a lot of trust and, and freedom to, um, you know, implement my beliefs and, and, and this system that, that we're seeing unfold. And, and, uh, you know, there's, there's obviously still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, Gary has not mastered this by any means. He, he needs to continue to improve and, and I'm really confident that he will. Um, you know, it's just, it's going to take some time. Cool, man. Tanner, I really appreciate it. This is, this is awesome. Um, just this last, uh, Higgy obviously had a huge year as well coming up. Um, uh, you know, I don't know how many Yankees fans expected that, but I think he, he played extremely well, especially down the stretch has the, the, the ultimate confidence, um, with Garrett Cole as well. What, what are you looking for? Just, just some, uh, just some little things to, to look for going into 21 from the catcher position. Obviously Gary was just, uh, was just, uh, you know, signed. He was offered, um, Higgy will be back. Looks like those two will be the the the, the battery duo coming in again. Um, yeah, just a couple of things maybe to uh, for Yankee fans to to keep an eye out for. Yeah, Higgy was great, um, and, and I think the, the the dynamic we have, you know, in that room um, amongst those two specifically um, is really strong. And and obviously there's there's a lot of potential and upside in Gary that that we need to get out of them. And and uh, and then you have the consistency and. Um, um, and kind of the ultimate team player in, in Higgy, who's who's um, a servant really in every sense of the word, and and obviously really refined at, at what he does um, and, and what he does well. So, you know, he he was outstanding to work with. Uh, um, you know, he made similar adjustments, although it wasn't you know in a knee down. Um, so the aesthetics were slightly different. But if if you listen to his interview on the Yes Network um, recently, you know he talked about just eliminating that secondary stance. So. In essence, you know, he was able to accomplish the same thing as we were, um, you know, attempting to get out of Gary, which was, you know, learning how to block and throw from your best receiving position. And, and for Higgy, you know, that's that really low crouch. He's he's really flexible and he can sit in a deep squat. Um, and he just stayed in that position with runners on base and, and saw huge gains as a blocker, huge gains as a thrower. And he's always been, you know, an elite pitch framer. So it all kind of came together for Higgy, which which was exciting. Um, you know, now we got to do that for Gary and, and, and I think, you know, that time's coming and it's, it's coming soon. That's really interesting. Actually, just, uh, I was going to leave it at that, but you just said something that's very interesting about, you know, Hickey finding that spot, you know, merging, going into the, the one comfortable position. So if you're, if you're identifying a guy that's not taking to it, or he's more comfortable in a crouch position, the more, it seems like the more important factor for you while you lean towards the one knee, but is merging the two so that there's a one comfort spot and these guys are, are, are sitting there a lot more often. Yeah. The, the main goal is just to, to combat that regression with runners on base. Like if pitch framing is the most important thing, we have to be able to do that at, at a really high level, regardless of where the base runners are. And, you know, the, the most important time to steal a strike is, is often with two strikes. And, and so why catchers get out of their best receiving position doesn't really follow logic, right? It's, it's, you know, it, if we can steal a strike with two strikes, you know, the at-bat's over. The, the, it results in a, in, a, in, a, in a strikeout, which is the best outcome in baseball. If, if we can convert um, a ball to a strike with runners on base, you know, we're going to limit, you know. Um, it, it just completely shifts the dynamic of at-bats, right, when you, when you add strikes. And when you look at any offensive metric, they go down with the, with the addition of a strike and, and so um, we have to be able to, to continue to, to, to receive at, at a really high level 
um, regardless of where the base runners are. And we need to be able to do that without compromising, you know, the blocking and throwing piece. That's the end goal. And what that actually looks like, I really don't care. Right. And for, and for Higgy, um, and it looked different than how I implemented it in Minnesota or what we did with Mitch Garver or, or what it looked like for Gary. Um, so I think having that adaptability, I take a lot of pride in that. I and mean, it's not just me pushing my own, my own biases or beliefs onto players, but explaining the merits of the system. And then in, in Higgy's case, you know, he, he presented that idea to me and I thought it was great, you know, and, and we went with it and, and he had a lot of success and, and probably had his, his most productive year as a major league player and, and has gained a ton of confidence as a result. So, um, you know, yeah, with that being said, it's, it's, it's not a one size fits all thing. And, and it, it is important that, you know, that the player is a, is a big part of the process obviously yeah no that's awesome that's that's really great insight i love hearing i love hearing that the fact that it's a an adaptable um type system so that's i think that i think a lot of people don't realize that to be honest and i think that that what you just said is a um is a big eye-opener for a lot of people so that's 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 great to hear uh, look, man, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate this. Um, guys, if you are not following Tanner, uh, go give him a follow on Twitter, uh, at, Twin, at Tanner Swanson. Um, he's got some really good nuggets there as well. Uh, Tanner, looking forward to you know seeing everything next year, and um, hopefully we can play some baseball with maybe some fans in the stands at some point. That would be great, but full season, take that. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, coming right. on, man. Thanks. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate what you do, man. And uh, stay safe and, and looking forward to meet you in, meeting you in person here, hopefully sometime soon. All right, cool. Cool. Take care. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.